Ulterior. Yo, what's up? So, this is part two of the episode for the week. Um, I guess you should go listen to part one, but I, you could also listen to this instead first and then go to part one or part one and then here. I don't know, but you make your own choices. You're all adults. Or so the... Maybe you're not all adults. Maybe some of you are teenagers, in which case, I don't know how you found this, but thank you for listening, I guess. Stay in school. Like, genuinely, for real, for real, stay in school. Um, so, the first part, I, I talked about singles for the week, and then the records by You're the Knife and Holofront and A Virtue. So, go check that out if you haven't already, and if any of those topics interest you. And then, this portion, part two, is going to look at the new albums by Poppy, Varsity, Wargasm, Wolf and Bear, and Set to Stun. Thank you so much, thank you for tapping in, and I hope you guys enjoy this second part of the episode. Name value-wise, I think this was the biggest album last week for myself. Zig by Poppy. If there were... A Hall of Fame of sorts for Ulterior, and the celebration of different accolades that artists and bands have been presented with before on this show, one of the first ballot inductees would be Poppy. And even predating Ulterior, she has generally been one of my favorite artists in the world. One of the artists who I drop everything for when there's new release information or a new song, whatever it might be. Poppy was elevated to that status pretty early on, around the time of Am I a Girl's release and the experience I had hearing that album and the way that it progresses from the start of it being a standard pop album and then by the end of it, it's metalcore and that weird ability for Poppy to not just fluctuate around the scene spectrum, but to, in a way, be the scene spectrum herself. That is what really made Poppy who she is for me. And from there onwards, she just continued to completely change the game in terms of what I perceive music's capabilities and limitations of being set at. I've had the chance to see her twice live, once on the threesome tour where she opened for Bring Me the Horizon, Sleeping of Sirens, and then recently on the co-headliner with Paris, and both times, just the energy was there, the excitement was there. Everything about Poppy's presence as a live act resonates with me, and I believe she is somebody who everybody should go see her when they have the chance to, because again, that energy and that experience in a live poppy audience, there's not much out there like that that I can compare it to. And so I say all of that to ultimately say that I am acknowledging right now Zig is 
one of my least favorite records by Poppy, but it is still a record that I believe embodies the progression and maturity of Poppy and the showcasing of her ability to put out a record that isn't so chaotic or all over the place as her prior releases. And it still sounds amazing. I think this is still an album that you can show somebody and they'll understand who Poppy is. They will have that magic explained to them through these songs. Like the opening song, Church Outfit, it still has that really like dark and creepy undertone to Poppy. And she was explaining this recently in an interview where Church Outfit is about the outfit she would like to be buried in. And that is like so like patented Poppy. That weird creepy factor, that's a big part of what sold me on Poppy initially and it continues to sell me on her. I think the same energy carries over into Knock Off, which has similar tones to Church Outfit. And then from there, the two songs that follow it, Hard and What It Becomes. I like what they go for and I understand the purpose of them being here. I feel like they might slow the momentum off of Church Outfit and Knock Off just a little bit by, you know, kind of still being like creepy and weird in a lot of ways, but doing it in a slower pacing and with this sort of like distortion filtered over it. I'm not sure if that really, you know, helped the uh, the flow of the record per se. I think later on in the track listing, Linger might do a little bit of the same thing. It's kind of a like an acoustic song mixed with some of the key elements of Poppy's sound. And in theory, it, it seems like it would work. And I do think to an extent, the song works just in terms of keeping, you know, the pacing going. I keep going back to that word pacing. And I feel like that's the one area of Zig where I'm kind of, you know, constantly back and forth on like, does this part work? Does it not work? And in these cases, I'm led to believe that they kind of don't work. But again, it's still a good song and I do really enjoy it, but where it fits into with this record and in regards to the songs around it, that's what I'm uncertain on. To go into some of the like really strong positives of the album, I came into this review expecting to tell you guys that my favorite song on here is Motorbike. It's the penultimate song. It was a single going into Zig. And to me, Motorbike is just very, like, it's just so catchy and it feels like, or rather it sounds strangely upbeat for this record. And that kind of allows it to stand out. And I really enjoy that about Motorbike. So again, I was expecting to say that's my favorite song. But listening through this album a couple times, Flickr is fucking tremendous. I fucking love Flickr. Flickr kind of takes a little bit of what I mentioned about, um, you know, the the dark and brooding nature of songs like Church Outfit and Knock Off, and then something a, a little bit distorted like Hard. It kind of mixes those characteristics together, and it just, it, it fucking soars into the sky, my dude. Like, I love Flickr. I feel like this is another area and an example of Poppy, you know, really branching out and letting her wings spread, per se, and it, it works to the absolute, you know, tremendous benefit of Zig. And I also think the closing song, Prove It, is one place where that, like, slow tempo kind of works for Poppy, and it's a really cool way to cap off the album, and ultimately, like I said earlier, Zig is one of my, you know, least favorite Poppy releases, but I feel like 
what that does more than anything else is just really highlight and accentuate how fucking good I believe Poppy is. For me to be able to say that a record like Zig that is still in a lot of ways excellent can be you know, on the lower end of her totem pole is a true testament to how highly I view Poppy and how important she has been to my fandom in the alternative scene for the last couple of years. Levitate is the name of the brand new album out right now by Varsity. What I take away from Varsity on this record, and ultimately what I've been able to take away from their act for the last couple of years, is that they have the exact kind of fluid range that I think is necessary in order for them to pull off the sound that they do. R&B driven metalcore is, at least in my estimation, difficult to really find a home in because the balance is what is key to really nail that style, and bands can run into the issues, uh, no pun intended, of leaning too heavily into one direction of the, you know, the amalgamation, and not really give themselves the space to make sure that all boxes in this area are checked off, if that makes any sense. And a big part of what makes Varsity so capable of finding that perfect balance is the performance by Joey on vocals, and I believe I mentioned something similar to this when talking about Welcome Home, which is their album from early 2022. Joey has this real superstar-like quality to his voice, not only the way that it sounds, but the way that he utilizes it. He has a cadence that is not ubiquitous at all. It is all to himself. He is such a remarkable voice in the scene and the talent that he lends to Varsity and the support that his voice gives to these really infectious rhythms, that's kind of the key to what makes Varsity as special as they are, at least in my eyes. I think right from the opening stretch of the record, you get a good sense of how Joey is able to you know, be both aggressive, but also soothing. The chorus of Fuck You Forever, which is the opener, it has that that heightened intensity that I just love hearing from Varsity when the time is right. And subsequently, the song that follows it, Back to Back, it has these verses where Joey is just so relaxed and calm. And again, when it makes sense for Varsity to go into that direction... They are unlike any other band in the scene who, you know, tries to navigate these sounds. And it isn't just Joey who is able to kind of narrate this album and give it the character that it has. Everybody around him within the band and then on the production end, they found a fucking amazing groove with this album and just how easy it is to like nod your head and tap your foot along to these songs like the plug it's like it's second nature to them in a way to just be as 
like rhythm and hook bass as they are. There are two songs that I really want to spotlight in this review, Dangerous and The Way It Is. The Way It Is was previously a single, I didn't get to talk about it, and when listening back through this album, I was able to not only like rediscover my love for The Way It Is, but also have it you know, just completely engulf me. And there was a period when listening through the album for the first time where I truthfully just kind of repeated the way it is a couple times because I could not get enough of it. Still right now, almost a week later, the way it is just lives rent-free in my brain. And I don't want to do anything to change that. And then Dangerous. Bro, I feel like I could talk for hours about Dangerous. And the the way that it makes me feel, the emotions that this song presents to me, because it is, at its core, true to the nature of varsity in every facet, but it also takes on this very theatrical feel that I can compare to Ice Nine Kills and Famous Last Words and The Requiem and Cinematics Era set it off. And it's very strange to hear a song by a band like Varsity be done in that manner, but hearing the finished product of it, it is fucking excellent. I love Dangerous so much, and I just love how like creepily vibrant it sounds and it feels like something that you know I could have been uplifting at 12 or 13 years old uh, the same way that I am now at 28 and that's a testament to you know varsity knowing who they are and studying the game and just being fucking kings at their craft the album is 15 songs long and it runs at 53 minutes. And maybe for some listeners that might come across as being, you know, a little bit stretched out and maybe too long of a runtime. And I, I feel like I can understand if anybody were to have, you know, that gripe would levitate. But I think for myself, it did not feel long at all. Not once did the album ever drag. And that's because Varsity is more than capable of making each song so entertaining and fun to listen to, and I get lost in these tracks, and that is what I come to Varsity for. That elevated mood that they can put me in, there are a few bands right now who have that ability, and Varsity is at the top of the list of my favorites who are, you know, capable of doing such a thing. Varsity showed up and showed the fuck out with Levitate. This is a tremendous album worthy of existing in the discography of Varsity, and it is going to stick with me for a while. Here are some thoughts on the debut album by Wargasm, Venom. There was a point a few years ago, probably around the time of the pandemic, where 
Wargasm felt like one of the most talked about bands in the scene, and that isn't to say that the hype for them is gone or it's really diminished, but I do think that had this record been released at that time instead of in 2023, there would be more fanfare prevalent on social media about Venom. And maybe it's just a matter of, you know, my timeline being curated a certain way, but I feel like out of every record that I am talking about on this episode, both part one and two, Venom by Wargasm is the one that I have seen the least amount of discourse for. But I do hope that anybody who was anticipating Venom, they got what they wanted out of this because I definitely think that it's very true to the nature of Wargasm. It's a lot of what I expected to hear out of them and what I expected was an album that is just so unapologetic and raw in its delivery because that's exactly what Wargasm has embodied this whole time. That's kind of who they have been. I think the title track is maybe the best glimpse into that nature because it is just very energetic and it really channels that spirit and soul of Wargasm and the way that they have carved a name for themselves by, you know, kind of using these elements of industrial and new metal to their advantage by combining them and making this very unique and patented sound that is perfect for them. And then immediately thereafter, you get a stretch of songs through Minigun, Death Rattle, Ride the Thunder, and Do It So Good that are still very good songs, and I'm still able to enjoy the concepts and ideas presented by Wargasm through that stretch. But I also feel like by the end of it, I kind of looked back on it and thought, maybe these didn't feel like so innovative the same way that the title track Venom did. They're great songs, sure, but I I don't know. Let, let's say these songs had been the singles by Wargasm throughout 2020. I don't know if I would have developed such excitement for them had these been the songs. I feel like they have a lot more to offer instead of kind of just cycling through these certain sounds that had that stretch continued on beyond Do It So Good, the album could have ran the risk of just becoming formulaic. And then you get to the seventh track, which is Bang Your Head featuring Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit. And I think getting to hear him on this song, it really did highlight just how much Limp Bizkit is an influence on Wargasm and how many of their like finer details you can hear within Wargasm. And Fred felt right at home on the track. It's definitely my favorite moment on the record. And it's something that I felt was able to kind of shift the tide and the momentum of the record at that point in a way. And then we're able to hear tracks like Modern Love, Sad, and Outrage that feel a lot more like the style of orgasm that, you know, made them so hyped and special in the first place. And I think coming out of this record, Venom, like I said earlier, maybe it would have been more effective a couple years ago, at least in terms of maintaining the appeal and 
the fanfare that wargasm had found back then and i had seen for myself like the amount of people at that time who were you know really championing wargasm and putting them on a pedestal it was really remarkable to see and it was great for a band with this style and sound and aesthetic to achieve those highs and you know there can be a plethora of reasons for why the band might not have capitalized on the momentum earlier, but at the very least, the album is here now, and if you're somebody who was eagerly awaiting to finally get a full-length album by Wargasm, I really, really hope you got what you wanted out of this, and this turned out to be a record that you can be proud of. Let's talk about Bloodletter by Wolfenbear. I've generally viewed Wolf and Bear for the last couple of years as being one of the more impressive and consistent bands within Swancore or Experimental Post Hardcore or whatever you really want to call that sector of the scene. And true to the concept of Swancore, you know, being like a, a revolving door of band members who come and go in and out of multiple projects... The basis of Wolf and Bear was Tim Furyk, who was also part of Dance Gavin Dance, and Tim passed away very suddenly last year in April. And I only mention Dance Gavin Dance because that is a part of Tim's history, and the most recognizable one at that. So I at least have to make note of that on here. Tim's passing makes Bloodletter the final release from a project that he had involvement in, and that does kind of put this emphasis in a way on the bass lines throughout the record at least for myself listening to Bloodletter and it is kind of like the the um the reiteration of just how talented he was and how he was genuinely an elite member of any band that he was a part of and a real part of the glue that you know sort of kept Swan Chord together the last Wolf and Bear album was Everything is Going Gray back from 2017, and that album did a lot of good in the camp of Wolf and Bear to make sure they stood out on their own in the genre and didn't come across as, you know, like a carbon copy of Dance Give a Dance, which was a recurring theme in that realm for some other bands. I think there are a lot of moments on Bloodletter that carry over that notion and really keep the energy going within the band. I think the album has a tremendous start with Indigo, and there's not like a um, like an intro section to Indigo. There's no lead-in of sorts to the concept of the album and the material here. It really just like goes right into it, right into um, like what makes this album what it is, and what makes Wolf and Bear the band that they are at large. And I think that's a really good way to kind of bring in new listeners if there's anybody hearing Bloodletter, and this is you know, their first experience with Wolf and Bear. Uh, K-Resort, I mentioned this recently as a single, and I showed a ton of love to that song at the time, and, and I want to do so again, because I feel like K-Resort, it resembles 
everything that can go right with Swancore and Experimental Pulse Hardcore when a band is really coming together and utilizing every tool at their disposal to make these songs stand out. Because the genre has been around now for like, you know, over 15 years if we really want to go back that far. And in that time span, it sometimes does feel like maybe, you know, I've heard everything that there is to hear within those boundaries. Like, how much more can a band really innovate that sound and that style? And a song like K-Resort tells me that Wolf and Bear has that capability within them. And there's so many other songs here that kind of do accomplish a lot of the same. Fool's Gold has, like, this great rhythm that is just, like, so catchy and infectious and vibrant that is able to keep the momentum going. Same thing with Poofy. And then later on, songs like Quick Sip 84 and Painted Lady, they kind of show what I mentioned earlier about consistency and the ability for Wolf and Bear to just kind of, you know, have like banger after banger in a way on this track list. The only moments on this record, Blood Letter, that I would say kind of jump out to me as being not strong negatives, but negatives that I at least couldn't really ignore. The slower moments of the record, the moments where you get songs like Chad B. Kang and Counting Cards, and I think the ideas and the overall premise of Wolf and Bear are still there at heart in those songs, but they just don't really feel as well executed as in the moments where the band is a little bit more frantic and that tempo is on the upswing as opposed to um you know a downward trend and it's not just the tempo that is downward it kind of feels like the energy and the momentum stalls just ever so slightly and you know the premise of what i'm saying right now might just come across as i don't like it when wolf and bear go slow that's really not what i'm saying i'm saying that the moments where they did go slow here i don't think they really did everything they could to maximize this time and that's ultimately my only real gripe with the album i also would say that you know i i don't like it as much as everything is going gray but that's kind of not only is that so subjective, but also I have to consider the time and the place of when I first heard everything is going gray and, you know, my surroundings and life events that kind of helped make that album what it was for me at the time. And so it's not fair to really put Bloodletter against everything is going gray in that context. Give it a couple more months and a couple more listens. Maybe that additional time will elevate Bloodletter for me later on. But I'm saying right now that. I really do believe Wolf and Bear accomplish a lot of good with this record. I think it is a tremendous way to uh, allow Tim to have like his final mark of sorts in the scene and with music and the thing that he dedicated his life to. And that's that, that's awesome, dude. That that's really really cool to you know get to listen to and experience. And I will continue to monitor Wolf and Bear and watch their every move because just about every move of theirs is captivating in some way. And for the final album of the entire episode, Set to Stun, finally, 
finally, finally, finally drop the album. And it is called Valkyrie One. I used to pray for times like this. There is a genuine smile on my face. A big fucking dumbass grin. In the moments where I ask myself, what happened to the game I love? I get shit like this. I get shit like Valkyrie 1. Valkyrie goddamn motherfucking 1. And I don't say this with the intention of taking shots at these bands. It's just so I can paint the picture for you guys about the premise of Valkyrie 1 for myself as vividly and colorfully as I can. The way that a lot of you guys were anticipating Paramore and Fall Out Boy's albums this year after a lengthy waiting period and that strong, fiery passion from the fan base for those projects. That's what Set to Stun represents for me. Eight years. Eight fucking years since their last album, Set to Stun and The Desperado Undead. And now, Valkyrie 1 is a real thing. It's no longer something that I have to wish for while clinging on to... The crumb that was Walk Tall 2. And let me say these things right quick about Walk Tall 2 before I start going off on other tangents. Normally, I would question the decision to put a five-year-old single on an album. But in the case of Walk Tall 2, my guy, put that shit on this joint. Put Walk Tall 2 on here. Make it work. Because Walk Tall 2 is one of the best songs of the last decade, and it has never once lost its steam for myself since November 2018 when it dropped. As soon as that chorus hits, or the closest thing that this fucking song has to a chorus, I was ascending, dog. I just started yelling out, Devil Woman in a Black Jacket, do you remember me when we were prisoners of empathy and I caught you dancing in a whirlwind of rhythm and energy, shaking your ass to the melody? And I want to add something else. I think I said recently when talking about Dreamwell and how that record was for the sickos who keep quiet about what they're listening to. This record is also for the sickos. But it's for the sickos who can't shut the fuck up about their exuberance over this album. So I'm going to go off and talk my shit for a minute. What Set to Stun did on Valkyrie 1, I kind of knew it was going to happen. And what they ended up doing and what I'm referring to is they took certain tropes of music that I generally cannot stand and made it work to perfection. Absolute, pure, fucking goddamn perfection. Some of these songs are long as shit. And I've said before, I generally don't do long songs. That's not, you know, my forte. That's not an area of music that I necessarily gravitate to. Yeah, there have been long songs in the past before that I really, really admire. But at large, whenever 
there's a long song like recently on Creeper's album. I was just kind of like, fuck, all right, let's let's do this. Let's get through this. Let's make this shit work or try to make this shit work. Set to Stun did not give a fuck about what I think about long songs because they knew that no matter what they did, I was going to fuck with it. Staria 3 is 9.05. 9 minutes, 5 seconds. I'm trying to do math in my head right now about what that totals to in seconds, but I'm bad at math. Like, really, really bad at math. Like, failed AP Calculus 2, I think is what it was. Um, so I'm not going to do math. And I don't need to do math because they did it for me. And what I mean by that is the constant like shifting of the tempo and the pacing throughout not just Staria 3, but just about every song on Valkyrie 1. It's like a big mind fuck. Like the shifting should not work at all. I mentioned Walk Tall too earlier. The way that that song can go from metalcore into something almost of like um, like old Western folk stuff, and then back to metalcore, and then into just regular alternative post-hardcore music. It's so stupid. Like, genuinely, it's fucking stupid. And it shouldn't work, but it does. Because Set to Stun is an amazing band that couldn't do anything but fucking deliver. I'm hearing a song like The Holy Mountain, and the portion where it gets really quiet and, like, muted in a way, I am, like... Leaning in, as in, that is going to help me listen to the song any better. And I'm just that captivated by it. I, I feel alive hearing the Holy Mountain. I feel alive hearing the title track and the feature that they got on it with Craig Mabbitt from Escape the Fate. And I've talked some shit before. Not good shit, bad shit before about Craig. His feature spot here on Valkyrie 1 is... Maybe my favorite thing that he has done in, like, 15 years, dating back to This War Is Ours. He sounds amazing here. Just the way that he and Damien are kind of able to find this real synchronicity and this unison with their voices, it really does help elevate that song even further in my head. I felt a little bit strange having, or, or not having to, but choosing to treat the songs The Lost Adam and Body Snatcher Triumphant as interludes in the review on social media because there was a lot of life in these songs, sometimes more life than other tracks I've reviewed this year. But they just, they're just that, you know, they're interludes. They're meant to get you from point A to point B while providing you with this very unfiltered entertainment. And I feel like those sort of breaks in a way did somehow help the flow of the record. But it's a record, or rather it's a flow for a record that didn't really need any sort of fixing. It didn't really need this kind of fluffing, but I'm glad that it's there because ultimately all it meant was that I got like 
two more minutes of set to stun, and I will take those two minutes. I could have gotten just 20 seconds of interlude, and if they still had as much life and character and color as these two fucking interludes did, they would still be treated by myself as massive successes. And I want to use that phrase right now to really describe what Valkyrie 1 represents to me, and specifically me, maybe not you guys out there, but me right now. This was a massive success. Genuinely a giant fucking triumph of an album. And that means something to me because of how long I waited for it. To know that that fucking 23-year-old kid who was driving around in the winter, in the cold, hearing Walk Tall 2 and be so invigorated by it. To know that that kid would one day later on be on a weird fucking podcast talking about the full album that Walk Tall 2 was on, the full album that Set to Stun delivered, and not just deliver, but execute flawlessly. That's special. That's the kind of shit that is so hard to describe. It's really hard to put into words what that feeling brings me, and I have to thank Set to Stun with every fiber of my being for allowing me to have that moment and uh, allowing me to have this kind of an album that, again, goes against the grain in so many ways of what it is I look for in music, but still kind of put me into this position where I just cannot deny anything that's happening here. Yeah, the songs are long. Yeah, they're weird as shit. They don't make any sense structurally, but they make all of the sense in the world to me, like, spiritually, and the sheer meaning of them, like, that sort of shit. I feel like I've said a lot of things without maybe saying anything, but Valkyrie 1 really is a record that you kind of have to go through yourself. It's no benefit to you guys to just hear me talk about it without hearing it. You need to go listen to it. You need to at least give the opening stretch of Death of a Dreamcatcher and Walk Tall 2 a chant, because I really do believe that Set to Stun and this album, Valkyrie 1, is so abnormal and so abstract that you're almost guaranteed to find at least a couple of elements about it that you really gravitate to and you really fuck with, because this band has something to offer everybody, and I just hope that anybody who's willing to listen out there is going to give Valkyrie 1 the chance to just completely mesmerize your brain the way that they have mine. And that's it. Genuinely, now, that was it. That was every album and single and whatever the fuck else happened last week for me to talk about. This was a lot, and I understand it might be a lot for you guys, but if you made it through parts one and two of this episode, you're a fucking G. For real, for real. And I appreciate you, and I fuck with you. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed these two parts. And as always, for the love of the game, let's make a scene.